Hey Moth family, save the date for the Moth main stage on Saturday, February 27th at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Join us and host Jonathan Ames for an evening of stories as five storytellers take the virtual stage and share a true personal tale from their life. Stories of glory and defeat, taunting fate, laughing in the face of danger, and the moments that forever changed the course. Buy tickets now at themoth.org slash virtual mainstage. Welcome to The Moth Podcast. I'm your host this week, Michelle Jalaski, and I'm a producer and director here at The Moth. I really love listening to other stories because I think it helps widen the circle of who we see as worthy of our respect, empathy, and concern. Usually when we talk about being empathetic, we mean towards other people. But today, we'll hear two stories from people who went out of their way maybe even to ridiculous lengths, to extend that loving kindness to our animal friends. I also chose these stories because they make me laugh, and let's be honest, I think we could all use a laugh after the past few weeks. Our first story is from Majdi Faris. Majdi told this at a story slam in Detroit where the theme of the night was intentions. Here's Majdi, live at the Moth. My backyard consists of 40 feet of grass, two swans, and a small lake. And these swans are both strikingly beautiful and strikingly hostile. They're not my favorite. I like the mallards and the turtles way more than the swans. My least favorite wild animal on the property are the Airbnb guests. When we moved to DC, we rented out the place. Our first bad review was a nightmare come true. A swan hissed at my daughter, and we just didn't feel safe. Two stars. After that, our reservation rate plummeted. My chances of becoming a super host went down the drain. I'm petty. And my inbox filled up with messages and questions about the swan that I didn't have answers for. <laughs> so these swans have been there long before me, but they've become a threat to my guests and, more importantly, my income. So I called the city and received some surprising advice. Coyote urine. Excuse me? I, you'll scare them away if you cover your yard with coyote urine. <laughs> how, how am I supposed to do that? Do I give a coyote a Bud Light and grab it and walk backwards? I mean, how do I do this? I, I'm, I'm from the suburbs. I don't <clears throat> Now I'm online on Amazon reading reviews for coyote urine. He was like, make sure you do it before they nest. So I ordered it on, uh, you know, um, online. It shipped in like three days. Um, I'm reading all these reviews. And my favorite review, by the way, bought it to repel skunks. Smells way worse than skunks. <laughs> yeah. So, that's, what this, that's what I'm dealing with. So, I didn't even know which one to buy, so I just sorted the results by newest arrivals and purchased the top one. Not to sound bougie or anything, but I only buy the freshest coyotes urines. 
When the package arrived, the box was wet. It was leaking. It was damaged in transit. I could smell it from 50 feet away. This poor EPS driver had to drive around with it all day long. Anyways, I didn't have time to return it because it was nesting season. This had to be done now. The time had come. So I suited up for battle. It felt like Rambo. If my neighbors were outside that day, they would have saw me wearing six garbage bags, spraying urine everywhere, going, you made me this way. You drew first blood. Which wasn't a good idea because the wind from the lake kept blowing it right back into my face. I couldn't wipe it off. So I had to just let it sit there on my face like pee-pee tears. <clears throat> I called the city again. Yeah, your plan didn't work. The swan is still here, and I have coyote urine on my tonsils. Help me. <clears throat> they said, you have the right to shoot the swan. Yeah, that's tempting. But I'm not going to shoot a swan over an Airbnb review. They said, swans are considered an invasive species by law. But the swan was here before me. I feel like I'm the invasive species. They said, swans can be aggressive and hostile when it comes to their territory. I said, that's because I'm trying to displace them from their land. You know, I'm trying to remove them from their land. And he said, but technically the land is yours. So I don't have time to turn this into a Palestine-Israeli conflict right now. I hung up. You give bad advice. I changed my intentions. Rather than finding a way to get rid of them, I found a way to include them. I updated the listing, put photos of the swans. Fun facts about the swans, like how they mate for life. Come visit Swan Lake. After that, you know, a lot of people were scared off by those changes, but I attracted all these nature lovers who know how to keep their distance from a swan. So now business is good, the swans are happy, so treat God's creatures with respect, even if your government tells you not to. That was Majdi Faris. Majdi is a Palestinian American who currently lives in Arlington, Virginia. He's a medical sales rep by day and a comedian at night. When he's not writing or performing, Majdi enjoys fishing and bargain hunting. Majdi says he's no longer Airbnb being the house, but his mother has actually moved in. He says she's slowly building a rapport with the Swan family. To see some photos of Majdi's Swan Lake, head to our website, themoth.org. Up next, Lucy Moses. Just a heads up, Lucy's story mentions the existence of sex. Lucy told this story at a story slam in Berkeley where the theme of the night was love hurts. Here's Lucy live at the moth. Good evening. So my son is in the audience and it's a good thing because um, it's time for him to learn the truth about how Luke really died. 
So 10 years ago, I volunteered to be a foster mom for Orphan Squirrel. I did my training at the Urban Wildlife Rescue Center and waited for the call. And early spring, it happened. Somewhere, a baby squirrel fell from a nest, and he was placed with us. And we called him Luke. When Luke arrived, he was three weeks old. And a three-week-old baby squirrel is really tiny, doesn't have any hair. His eyes are fused. His tail is like a rat tail. It's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> so um, it needed to be fed with a little syringe, with a rubber nipple, like a little puppy formula, every three hours. And it needed warmth. So I kept it in my hand or in my pocket, uh, brought it to work on the little uh, heating pad. I kept it on my lap when I was working. And about a week later, a second squirrel was uh, placed with us, and we called him Busta, Busta Nuts. And <laughs> Busta was a, he was a few days younger, but he was bigger than Luke. We could tell he was going to be a, a big guy someday. And they got along great. Everything was going great. Um, Luke was a little more delicate. He liked got pneumonia, then he got diarrhea, which was really smelly and embarrassing at work. But we, we made it work, and he got over it. And then he would do this thing that he would start screaming in pain, like something was really bothering him. So I called Lila from the Urban Wildlife. I was like, I don't know what's going on. He's, he just starts screaming suddenly. She's like, oh, I know what that is. Um, can you like really look at them closely and let me know if maybe Busta is biting him? I was like, biting him? I mean, they, those guys love each other. Why would they? So I, I, you know, I pay attention, and yeah, Busta was biting him on the penis. And she was like, oof, yeah, you know, it's a common problem with orphan baby squirrels. Where we've, uh, basically, Busta is looking for his mom's nipples. For, and there is no mom, so he found something, something else. And it's, it's bringing him comfort, but it's not so nice for Luke. I mean, it, those, those squirrels have very sharp teeth. It's, I was horrified. I was like, what do I do? She's like, well, don't worry. It's just a phase. Just keep them apart. <laughs> OK, so I keep them apart, but that didn't work because they were really missing each other. They were like, <laughs> just like, like whimpering and looking for the other one. I couldn't do it. So I put them back together and <laughs> no, that doesn't work at all. So I had an idea. I know how to sew. So I took a little piece of felt, uh, a thread and a needle, and I sew little squirrel underpants. <laughs> Let me tell you, baby squirrels do not like to be put in underpants. I'm trying to squeeze Luke in his little squirrel underpants, and he just wiggles out. So I had to improve on my design. I took another piece of felt and really like wrapped it around the tail, and then sewed it really tight. And now it was a full-on squirrel chastity pants. So I, I put them together, and Busta would try to nuzzle, but it didn't get anywhere. It stayed on. Perfect. I mean, it wasn't perfect. It would get dirty, it would fall off after a bit. But she was right. After a while, they seemed to grow out of it. And they also grew big enough that they had their own cage now. So they, I wasn't carrying them around anymore. They had a big cage, and there was like branches and fruits and nuts. And they were just you know, doing their own thing. And they seemed to have forgotten about this whole thing. Um, and then we, we put a little hammock in the corner with like a little fleece blanket. And this is quite kind of like their happy place where they could go sleep. But then we noticed that the hammock would like be bouncing and rocking. And so we, we took a peek, and um, the sucking was still going on. <laughs> Except that now, Luke seemed to be enjoying as well. 
so we, we figured that Buster learned not to use his teeth. And now it was consensual, so we figured it's okay. Just whatever rocks that little hammock, we don't care. And um, a couple of weeks after that, they graduated with an even bigger cage. This one, it was in the garden. It was like six feet by six feet by four feet. Another volunteer came and helped them to build it. And at this point, you're supposed to kind of let them become wild. You're not supposed to interact with them anymore. So we just kind of let them be. And two other squirrels from another volunteer came and stayed with them. And Luke um, and the other two squirrels, I couldn't really tell them apart. They were all kind of the same, scrambling in the back. Buster, I could tell apart, because like I said, he was a big bone, little squirrel, and he was more f uh, human friendly. We'd come to the front when we gave them food. So it took me a while to realize that Luke was missing. I noticed there was only two squirrels in the back. Um, so I figured, oh, he must have found a hole in the cage. So I went in the cage, looked everywhere, and I couldn't find a hole, but I found Luke's body, and uh, he was dead in the hammock. And so I called the lady, she came and picked it up to do a necropsy, which is like an autopsy, but for animals. And she told me, I know exactly what Luke died of. He died of a bladder infection. I was like, can you even die of a bladder infection? And how can you be so sure? She's like, well, I know for sure, because his bladder was very enlarged. And it was very enlarged because he hadn't been able to pee for a while, and that because his penis was all infected. Oh. And I was like, this is terrible, and I can never tell that to my kids. <laughs> because how can I tell them that their, I mean, they were impressionable little boys, that their pet died of excessive oral sex? <laughs> But, but son, you're grown now, and it's time for you to learn the truth. <laughs> but, but don't worry. Yes, love, love hurts sometimes, but it almost never actually kills you. That was Lucy Moses. Lucy was born and raised in France. 25 years ago, she moved to Berkeley, California, where she's raising two sons and occasionally baby squirrels. There's so much I love about Lucy's story. I was a weird pet haver as a kid. My parents weren't into animals, so no cats or dogs for us, and I had to make do with hamsters, hermit crabs, and my personal favorite, a giant California snail that I named Slimy and truly loved with all my heart. But never a squirrel. I was very interested in how Lucy came to care for Luke and Busta, so I gave her a call to ask. Here's Lucy. I had a friend who did it too, who had also signed up and did that program. And my kids really wanted to have a pet, you know, so they had been asking. One wanted a cat, but my husband is allergic. One wanted a dog, but that's a lot of work. So I was always trying to find a compromise. I was like, well, I guess we could get, you know, a guinea pig, but nobody's excited about that. So the fostering the squirrel, when I saw my friend do it, it seemed perfect because they placed them with you for like three months. And then by law, you have to release them. So, you know, even if the kids are begging me to keep the pet, I can like, oh, sorry, we're not allowed to keep this pet any longer. So it seemed like the perfect pet to me, like just kind of have them, this intense pet experience for three months and then they go away. Um, but it did turn out that it was a little more demanding. <laughs> and when I had agreed to this, when I signed up for the 
for the fostering program, I'm a, I'm a designer and I work from home most of the time. So I'm like, oh, yeah, this is fine. This little thing's going to be at home. But then when the call finally came and the, the school was placed with me, I was actually working at a client's office. I was going there every day and I was like, oh, my God, you know, I started a few weeks ago and now I'm bringing this little creature that I have to like in the middle of meeting, I'm like, I'm sorry, it's feeding time. I have to like get my syringe and like try to feed puppy, you know, puppy formula to this little baby squirrel. And then the squirrel got diarrhea and was really smelly. And I was like, this is so unprofessional. I can't believe I'm doing this. But I don't know, everybody at the office thought it was kind of cute. But there was a funny moment when uh, we were in the middle of this and, and my husband was like, you know, Lucy, I know you. Three years from now, you're gonna, you will have forgotten all this terrible thing and all this like dealing with, with diarrhea and the suckling and the whatever, and you're gonna want to do this again. And so he got out the video and he like made a video of me just like, oh my god, and it's like so embarrassing at work and it's smelly and this thing is gonna die on me and and I was just ranting and ranting and my my husband is keeping that video. Uh, in case I ever say I want to adopt a baby orphan squirrel again. That was Lucy Moses. We always ask our storytellers if they have photos they'd like us to share alongside their story on our website, and Lucy really did not disappoint. To see photos of Luke and Busta, including the infamous squirrel chastity pants, head to themoth.org slash extras. That's all for this week. If you have a story to tell, we're all ears. You can submit a story pitch right on our website at themoth.org. From all of us here at The Moth, have a story-worthy week. Michelle Jalowski is a producer and director at The Moth, where she helps people craft and shape their stories for stages all over the world. Podcast production by Julia Purcell. The Moth podcast is presented by PRX, the public radio exchange, helping make public radio more public at prx.org. Moth Story Slams are back. Held on Mondays beginning in February, join us for our weekly open mic story slam competition. February's theme is Love Hurts. Throw your name in the hat for a chance to tell your story or just come to listen to stories of a total eclipse of the heart, kicked to the curb by the people or places or things you love or used to love. Visit themoth.org slash events to buy tickets now. That's themoth.org slash events.